are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning, everybody. That's kind of good. You seem a little subdued today, so I thought I would just say, hey, how's everybody doing? Good morning, everybody. I don't think you're going to struggle to want to hear what we talk about this morning. I think it's something that we all ask lots of questions about. So, this week I heard the story of a guy that I know who pastored um, in the mission field for many, many years. So he just spent so much of his life as a missionary. And then he comes back to the U.S. to pastor one of our churches, a great church. And he said that I was only maybe back in the States for maybe two months. And I began to have this question in my mind, is, is God not doing any miraculous work in the United States? He said it was so different from what I experienced over on the mission field. It was like we were praying for miracles all the time and, and God was doing amazing things. But here in the States, it was like, is God not doing miraculous work here in the churches? It reminded me of a conversation that I have about every Wednesday with Doug and Margaret Eaton, who are representing us in the small country of Swaziland in South Africa, a country where the need is great. And I FaceTime with them. And almost every Wednesday that I talk to them, they tell me about this major answer to prayer. Pastor Rick, God has done it again. He has come through in a miraculous way. He has done what only God could do. We were just, our backs against the wall. We had no way to turn. And God just does a miracle in front of us. And there's many times that I hang up the phone from Doug and Margaret thinking to myself, it seems like every week God is doing something major. But, but I don't seem to hear those stories around here so much. I told you a few weeks ago, I'm reading a book called The Pastor in the Secular Age by Andrew Root. And he's talking about the United States of America. And how that here in the U.S., this idea of divine action, God actually doing something, is almost unbelievable. Do I really need to God come for God to come through in a major way when I've got a credit card financially in my back pocket? You know what I mean? Or do I need a physical miracle when, when I've got such incredible health care all around me? Mother Teresa said the greatest poverty is affluence. Because when you have so much money... You don't realize how greatly you need God. I remember reading in a book a few years ago this line. There's such a great chasm between our spiritual mundane experiences and the faith of the biblical heroes. That it's downright discouraging. It, it's like if I, if I lay the Bible down, you know, beside my own life, I'm like, wow, there were incredible things happening here, but I don't think I'm experiencing what they experienced back there. And the author just said the chasm between my own mundane spiritual experience and 
the faith of the heroes in the Bible is just discouraging to me. Yet we've been in a series for the last ten weeks, and in these last ten weeks we've touted this verse. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. And we started the series ten weeks ago by saying that God is omnipotent. In other words, God's power is unlimited. What I'm trying to say is that there is nothing that God can't do. God can do anything. God has all power. And I tend to believe that I'm not the only one in the room. But there are many of us who deep down in our hearts want to believe again that God can and will do what seems to be impossible. And we're all a little bit sick of what seems to be a very sterile faith. And deep down in our hearts, we want to see God move in ways like we've never seen God move before. And we want to believe that God can and will do what seems to be impossible. And so, you might say to me in these ten weeks we spent in the Gospel of Matthew, is there something that stands out to you? And, and I would say to you, there is something that stands out to me, and here's what it is. Jesus' miraculous work was somehow related to the faith of real people. I don't know if I can really explain it to you, nor am I trying to be an expert or say that I have all understanding about faith, but I, I'm just simply saying this to you, that there tends to be some kind of a relationship between Jesus' miraculous work and the faith of real-life people. So, so let, me, let me tell you what I mean. So do you remember this guy, the centurion? We talked about him a few weeks ago. He comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, hey, you don't even need to go to my house where my servant is suffering. All you have to do is just say the word. I mean, this is unheard of. This is like long-distance healing. I don't think so. That hasn't been done before. But in that moment, the servant was healed. And Jesus says to the man, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Or, or, or maybe you remember another story. And I have about four or five to share with you. There was this man. He was laying on his mat. And his friends bring him to Jesus. You remember that story? And the Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, that's when he said, my son, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Or the lady who came to Jesus really wanting to be healed. And Jesus says to her, your faith has healed you. Or the two blind guys that show up saying, we want to see. And Jesus said, let it be according to your faith. Or just last week when the lady came and said, my daughter is suffering. And Jesus said, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. But, but then there's this other verse in chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 58. And it kind of messes with me a little bit. Because Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth. And you know what Matthew says? He didn't do many miracles there because they didn't have very much faith. And so again, I'm not saying that I have this, uh, you know, new understanding about faith or that I'm an expert about faith. I'm just saying that when I read the Gospel of Matthew, it seems to me that there's a relationship between Jesus' miraculous work and the faith of a person. 
So I want to tell you a story, okay? And I want you to open your Bibles with me and uh, go to chapter 17, verse 14. Chapter 17, verse 14. And so what we know is that something unique has happened now. This has not been the case up to this point. Because in verse 1 of chapter 17, Jesus goes to a mountain with three of His disciples. And they experience the glory of God So what happens on the mountain is Jesus is transfigured before their very eyes and there is a voice and it is the voice of God and the voice comes from the cloud and the voice says, this is my son whom I love, in him I'm well pleased, listen to him. So can you imagine being one of those disciples and you're with Jesus and you go up onto the mountain and Jesus is transfigured before your very eyes and you actually behold the very glory of God himself, okay? And so this is what happens in verse 14. So, coming down from the mountain when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. We've talked about this a lot. We've come to love this room and tonight we're going to come together and many of you have been praying about what God would have you give for the renewal of this room. And you say, is this a special room? Well, it's a special room in the sense that here we often experience the glory of God. Or it's here that we often feel like God speaks to us. Or, or it's here that God calls us. Or here we find ourselves in the presence of God. But we don't just come here to experience this and then leave and do nothing with it. No, we leave here after we have gathered to be sent. So we gather and then we go. And and we share with other people the glory and the goodness and the good news and the love of God. And so Jesus has been on a mountain and He's experienced the glory of God. But He comes down and He's met with human need. And Jesus doesn't turn His back on human need. He says, let me serve those who are in need. And so you and I are here this morning, and I promise you that if you open your heart at all, God's going to speak to you today, and then you're going to leave this place, and you're going to find people who needs the love of Jesus, and you can give them what you've experienced here today. So when they came, the crowd, man approached Jesus, knelt before him, Lord, Have mercy on my son, he said. So what do you think Jesus does? He's going to help the guy. He has seizures, and he's suffering greatly. And he often falls into the fire or into the water. And so I brought him here to your disciples. But your disciples could not heal my son. And this is what Jesus says. You unbelieving and perverse generation. You don't believe that I am actually the son of the living God. You you don't put your faith in me as the Messiah. You've seen other healers come and go. And for many of you, I'm just another healer. You're perverse in that your view of me is terribly distorted. But he's not just talking about the disciples. He's talking about all of Israel at this point, this whole generation. 
And Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you or how long shall I, I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And so in that moment, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that very moment. Now, if you had been a disciple and you had tried to heal the boy and you didn't, what would you be feeling and thinking? And so this is where the story goes. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and they said, hey, could we ask you something? Could you help us understand what just happened out there? Because we're not for sure we get it. Why couldn't we drive it out? I mean, the demon. Why couldn't we make that happen? And Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. I don't, I don't know that he's talking about quantity there because of what he just said. Then the disciples... Okay, I'm sorry, next slide. And truly I tell you, if, if you have faith, so here he talks about a little faith is enough, right? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, the smallest seed that Jesus could imagine, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Amen. I agree. I, I, I want to I dive into these words with you. My wife and I, Annette, we were pastoring in Cincinnati prior to moving here. And I remember a lady came to our church. She had been attending maybe three or four weeks when she said to me, uh, can I make an appointment with you and talk to you more about the church? And I said, yes. And so I remember one day she came into my office. She had a son. He was, I think, 10 years old at that time. And he had literally been very sick all of his life. He had lots of medical problems. His sickness was so overwhelming to her husband that the husband eventually said, I can't deal with all of this. And he actually left them. And so here she is raising this son on her own by herself and so she said i think this is the church that we we can attend I, I just want to ask you one question before we commit to do this but i think i know the answer to the question i don't think that you're like our last church but i want to be sure and here's what she said to me at our last church they talked a lot about faith a lot about healing and, and here's what they said. They said that, that if we have enough faith, that my son will be healed. But the opposite they also said was true. Up until this point, the only reason my son has not been healed is because we haven't had enough faith. And so I don't believe that. But before we can commit to this being our church, I, I just need to talk to you and know if that's what you or this church believes. Because if that's what we're going to hear while attending here, then we don't want to be here. So, so I get it. I understand this morning that if, if you walked into church on Sunday morning like you did and I stood up and I said to you, okay, here's what I've learned from Matthew so far. 
There's this overarching message that I hear in Matthew. And that is that in all of these examples that I gave you, there was this situation where Jesus wasn't just doing random miracles. Oh, there's a sick guy. You want to get well, I'll heal you. No, it doesn't seem like that was the case. Jesus kept doing his miraculous work in response to people's faith. Wow, you've got great faith. Your prayer is answered. Wow, let it be according to your faith. You're healed. I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Your request is granted. Wow, woman, you've got great faith. So if you come and you hear that, I think logically there's this place you go. Now, you've got a leap to get there, but there's a place you might go. And where you might go would be, well, if I have enough faith, then I should get my prayer answered. But here's the opposite. Also true. And maybe the only reason my prayer hasn't been answered is because I don't have enough faith. A guy said to me this morning, my sweet mother-in-law passed away so defeated, believing that if she had had enough faith, she wouldn't have died. Now, here's the problem with that kind of logic. Number one is that scripturally it just doesn't hold up at any point. So let me give you an example. There's a guy in the Bible, his name is Paul. You know about Paul. Was he a great guy? Did he have a lot of faith? Would you call him an example of faith? I would. I think the scripture clearly holds him up as a great example of faith. Yet Paul lived his whole life with what he referred to as this thorn in my flesh. We don't know for sure what it was. Some people think maybe it was his eyes. But there was some kind of a physical problem that Paul dealt with his whole life. And here's the Apostle Paul, this spiritual giant of a man, this man who was full of faith. But yet he never was healed of this physical problem. I I think what we do get left with is this question mark, what is the relationship of faith and Jesus doing miraculous work, right? So what is the relationship of faith and getting your prayers answered? What does that look like? And what if I don't have very much faith? What if I think, you know, hey, I I have a little faith, but I don't think I have a lot of faith. I met people that I think had a lot of faith. And can you get more faith if you only have a little? And how do you get more faith if you only have a little? Can you get more faith? Because I'm pretty sure that Jesus said you only had to have a little just now, right? Didn't he say like faith the size of a mustard seed? That would be enough that you could even see mountains moved? So it doesn't seem like to me that you have to have a lot of faith. And then there's these people of the Bible, and it says stuff like they were full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, like Stephen. Oh, how do you get full of faith? And then the disciples prayed to Jesus one day, Jesus, would you increase our faith? And then I read that verse about you're saved by grace. That's great, but it's through faith, so you've got to have faith to get saved. So how much faith do you have to have to have prayers answered or to get saved or to be right with God or to get to heaven? And what in the world is this relationship between faith and Jesus doing miraculous stuff, whether it's changing a person's heart to where they're born again or to a person getting healed from cancer? So that's where I want to spend the rest of my time. There's a guy named John Lloyd Ogilvie that was a popular preacher when I was young and a, and a writer. 
And John Lloyd Ogilvy said, um, I look at my prayer life and I realize that I probably spent about 90 to 95% of my prayer talking and um, maybe 5 or 10% actually listening. He said, when I, when I went to pray in the mornings, I had a lot to say. <laughs> a lot to pray about, a lot of people to pray for, and a lot on my mind, and a lot that I wanted God's help with. And so uh, when, I, when I got to my place of prayer every morning, I just talked most of the time. Because I had a lot to say. But one day God challenged me. What if? What if you spent like 90 to 95% of your time listening and about 5 or 10% of your time talking when you pray. And so John Lloyd Ogilvie tells the story about getting up the next day and that morning he simply came to Jesus and said, I'm here. And I just closed my eyes and I sat in the silence and I waited for God to speak. You should try it. I think sometimes we think, oh, I need to pray and I need to come up with a bunch to say. Why don't you just give it a break? Why don't you just maybe just say, I'm here. And, and maybe instead of saying, God, I've got all of this on my agenda, maybe just approach it with the attitude of, I wonder what God has on his agenda for me. And John Lloyd Ogilvie said, interestingly, I noticed that more of my prayers were getting answered. Rick, what are you talking about? Let me take you to a verse in Romans, okay, chapter 10, verse 17. Paul says, faith comes by hearing. What are you hearing? Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is where faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing, and the message... The message, rather. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. So, so you may be sitting here in front of me this morning saying, Rick, I'm hearing a lot of stuff every day of my life. I mean, I am tuned in to social media. I am tuned into television. I'm tuned into podcasts. I'm tuned into a lot of stuff. What I'm not hearing is God. I'm not really hearing much of this either because I don't spend much time with the Scripture, with the Bible. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of stuff, but I'm not hearing much of this. And so, I guess when I read this, it makes me say, well, I'm not really shocked that I don't see myself as a person of great faith because I'm not hearing much. And what little I'm hearing is getting drowned out by everything else that I hear. I show up at church some, and when I show up at church, that's what I get. That's it. 
but I'm not hearing God much. I'm not listening much, and I'm sure not spending a lot of time in the Word of God. And so, so maybe I shouldn't be shocked that I'm not a person of great faith. Let me, let, me, let me try to think with you for a minute here, okay? So I think that sometimes we, we, we get in our mind that, um, that maybe um, faith is kind of this um, wishful frenzy that we kind of work ourselves up into. Um, and, and if I just kind of, you know, <clears throat> get real intense, and, and, and I do believe... <clears throat> I, I really do believe, I mean, I, I'm really serious this time. I think I do this time. I think I really do believe. I think I do have faith. I really, okay, it's not working. Let me try again. Okay, I, 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 I do believe this. That, okay, I am serious. I believe it, okay? I, it's like this frenzy, this wishful thinking that I try to just kind of convince myself that I'm, I believe that God can do the impossible, you know. Do, do you realize that faith is much broader. It's a lot about it's about a lot more than just getting prayers answered. And that's where Jesus goes here. No, 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 Rick. I, I'm I'm not interested in that conversation. I I really want to know how do you get your prayers answered? That's what that's the kind of faith I'm talking about. There's only one kind of faith. There's not two kinds. And that's where Jesus lands. Jesus says, you want to talk about faith, let's talk about faith. You are an unbelieving and perverse generation, he says, to the nation of Israel as a whole. You do not embrace me as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You've seen other healers, and you've decided that I'm one of those healers. But you are perverse, and your understanding of who I am, you are distorted. And you are not convinced that I am the Son of the living God. I am God among you. I have the words of life. You want to talk about what faith is? Faith is coming to this place in your life that you say, Oh my goodness, He really is the Son of the living God. And everything that I am and everything that I will ever have, I owe to Him. And how can I do anything with my life except abandon everything that I've ever wanted and desired and follow Him and His dreams for my future? Now that's faith. And that's what Jesus was talking about. I'm not talking about wishful frenzy. I'm talking about setting your heart at a place that you say, Jesus deserves to be at the very center of my life. And even though there's been times I've wandered away, I keep going back because like the disciples said, where else would we go? You have the words of life. You deserve every bit of me. And it's not about what I might want or what I might wish for. It's about what you want. That's faith. There's only one kind. <laughs> Paul, in the book of Corinthians, says something that's going to help you over the edge today. Okay? Here's what he says. If I have all faith, so as to remove mountains. Now, I think that's pretty impressive. If you say, come out here with me, Rick. I've got enough faith. I'm going to move that mountain. Watch this. And you move the mountain. I'm going to be like, whoa. 
Listen to what else he says. But have not, say it with me. You know what he says I'm going to give you? The goose egg. Zero. Nothing. You're nothing. Do you understand what's being said here? That a greater test of faith than miracles is do you love your neighbor? I believe in Jesus so much. That every day of my life, I try to follow His example in loving others. He's got me. I'm completely hooked. I'm all in. I'm 100%. He is the Son of the living God. He has the words of life. And when I begin to walk with Him and follow Him, I find life. And when I revert back to my selfishness, I lose life. You see, if you say, well, I believe, but it doesn't really affect the way that I live. Do you know that the book of James says the demons believe? The demons believe God has power. They believe in God. No, no, we're talking about a faith that says, every day of my life, I seek to become more like Him. Annette and I, we have this struggle. It's, it's, it's been for years. I, I don't know when we're ever going to move through it. It's just, in our relationship, it's just hard. Something at the house will break, you know. And she'll point it out. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Saw that, you know. And, uh, and, and I tell her, I'll fix it. Okay? Now, what does not help is that I don't need her to remind me every six months. That it needs fixing. All right? I know it's broken, and I told you I will fix it. And if I said I will fix it, I'll fix it. You don't need to remind me every six months that it needs fixing. Now, I, I think that's funny. That's why I shared it with you. But I, I think that if that is your view of God and your relationship with Him, it's sad. I need him to fix it. He can fix it. I don't know why he won't fix it. I've asked him to fix it, and I've reminded him many times to fix it. But he hasn't fixed it yet. Anybody in the room want to testify? I think he can fix it. I want him to fix it. I've asked him to fix it, but I don't know why he hasn't fixed it. And Jesus is communicating a powerful message to these people who are in this crowd this day and to his disciples. That's, that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about faith. I'm talking about living in a relationship where Jesus is at the very center of your life. 
and you believe that he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do and he loves you like he says he can love you and you abandon everything else in your life and you begin to move toward this idea that Paul had when he said, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. It's not about me. It's about what he wants for me. And now I just trust him and walk with him and share my needs with him. And I know he's got me. And I trust him. All right, so we're going to wrap up, okay? And I'm probably a little over time here, but uh, let's, let's talk about this before we stop. Uh, where does your life, your story, intersect with this story? Now, you're going to be tempted to be distracted, and I'm going to challenge you not to be because uh, I think this might help all of us, okay? Where does your story intersect with this story? See what I'm asking? So there's somebody here today that may say, hey, Pastor, I'm, I'm the father. There's somebody that I love a great deal, and they need a prayer answered. That, that's who I am, and I am I'm desperate. He's my only hope. I, I think I'm like the father in the story. I've got this person that I love, and man, I'm desperate. Jesus is my only hope. I think there's others in the room. You may say, no, I'm the son. I'm the person with the prayer that needs answered. And I'm desperate. Jesus is my hope. You might say, I I, I think I might be in the crowd. I might be kind of curious. I showed up to watch the show. I don't know where I land. I don't know what I believe fully. If you're asking me, do I believe to the point that my whole life is in His hands? No, I'm probably not there. The jury's out. I'm trying to decide. I'm not sure. I'm in the crowd. Or you might be one of the disciples. I've seen Jesus work in powerful ways. And in the last verse, Simon Peter says, no, I'm, I'm all in. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. But there are other disciples who aren't there yet. And you may say, I don't know if I'm there yet. But, but whatever your story is and however it intersects with this story, Jesus hears you. He's very aware of you. And so we're going to stand, if you will, with me. We're going to sing. And I think it's one of those great mornings where we just say, we'll just feel like we're not in a hurry here and if you want to come forward and pray it's not just you're welcome but you're encouraged you're urged to come and pray so let's worship him together in these moments you have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene visit us online at bethanynaz.org